Hello and welcome back to the Scenario 7 podcast. My name is Sam and as always I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts Josh Bacon and Joe Roberts. How are you two doing? I'm doing very well, thank you Sam. How are you yourself? I'm, I'm good mate. How are you doing Joe? I'm doing good, thank you. I'm doing good. That's good to hear and this week we're here for a Netherlands Grand Prix review, Zanvoort the track and... I don't know, some, it's had a mixed response in the race today. Um, I personally enjoyed it, but guys, I want to get your reaction. What did you think generally about the race before we go into a bit more detail? Uh, Josh, do you want to go? <laughs> I was going to let you go, Joe, because you know, you've got such strong views on... Oh, on yeah, I got, yeah, I was going to say if you, because you got some, I have some modest views. I, I didn't particularly like... Uh, I like the the track, as in I think it's a very good qualifying track, as in we'll talk about later. But as a race track, it's pretty awful, and it seemed that we only got like eight overtakes in 70, 72 laps. Um, I think the only thing that made the race a race it was the fans um, being there, as in it was up there with with potentially being uh, more passionate fans than Britain. But again, I think with the British Grand Prix, you got multiple different factions in the whole, uh, around the whole of the track that support different teams. Uh, but in the Netherlands, um, Zanvoort was like all Max Max fans. Um, but yeah, it, it apparently from what they're saying from like Sky and that, it was electric, the atmosphere. So for me, that was the reason it made it a race. I think if you didn't have the fans, it would have been pretty boring. And yeah, I didn't particularly like it. Uh, I can see why he says that. Um, when I think when he said the uh, eight overtakes and 72 laps, I think all eight of them by one driver. But, you know, we'll, we'll forget about that. But um, I think what kind of made it more maybe not exciting but interesting was the different strategies that each, each driver or team were going for. So obviously some with one stop, two stop, but I think there might have been a few three stops as well. But um, I think that was the only reason that kind of made it interesting. Uh, because the, the track's not very good for overtakes except for coming out of the, the first corner and possibly some of the other DRS zone. But um, I think I'm in slight agreement with Joe, but I do agree. I think I'm in more to the the other side of it was interesting just not exciting mm, yeah i think it to be honest i didn't mind it too much i think it could have been a lot worse because a lot of the people going into it were saying there's gonna be no overtaking and she should be boring and to be honest i think there was a fair share of overtakes i mean eight overtakes you're just being dramatic joe because Perez went from the pits to eighth. So that's like quite a few on his own. And then you had Alonso who gained a few places. Um, you had Norris who gained a few places. So there was definitely some overtaking. Whoa, 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 whoa. Norris? They were going through the pits. Norris stops. overtook r- only Ricardo. Mm. That's, a, that's an overtake. It doesn't really yeah, matter. Let, uh, you can't see even Hamilton and Bottas letting overtaking as an overtake. I mean, and, and Alonso was on the first lap. No, I did on the last lap. Was, yeah, last lap as well. He bits that got an overtake on the last lap as well. So there, there was overtaking. You're being too harsh. You, uh, Verstappen also overtook Bottas. So that was an overtake at the front. Admittedly, on uh, Bottas was on much harder tyres and uh, Verstappen definitely had the pace advantage. But I don't think it was that bad i really enjoyed the atmosphere i think that made it great as you said joe and as crawling was great so that added a lot to it so overall i think the weekend i'd say was good the race was all right but i think for the first race in holland since 1985 i'd argue that it was a big success but Let's talk about quali, um, first of all, starting with Q1. So the main talking po- uh, points from Q1 was, of course, um, two big surprises uh, with Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel not making it through. Sergio Perez didn't start his lap in time because he was sent out too late from his mechanics. 
and because of traffic, so he couldn't get round. And then you had Sebastian Vettel, whose lap was compromised by the Haas drivers. So the first question I want to pose to you guys is, do you think the Sebastian Vettel incident was enough to get a penalty? Because in the end, the stewards deemed that there wasn't really much the Haas could do because there was a massive queue anyway. And to be honest, they qualified last and second to last anyway. So it didn't really matter. But yeah, do you guys think it was a penalty? Well, I think if it was anyone else, it probably would have been. And I think in previous races, it's happened and a penalty was awarded. Just the fact that it was the Hasses who were just at the back of the grid, just it shouldn't change how they apply the rules uh, to each team. So I personally think, and I, I thought it should have been uh, a penalty to, I think it was Mick for pulling out. Um, but thank, not, not thankfully, but if you listen to the radio afterwards, he was uh, quite emotional about realising it was Seb behind him. He was like just blocking his mate from completing a lap. But I think it's happened in previous and other circuits and other tracks. So I think there should have been a penalty uh, rewarded to, uh, to the Haas there. Yeah, I, I agree, Josh. I think the, the Haas should be get a penalty but I don't think what penalty can you actually do unless you just find them, which um, I think is, yeah, again, I think there's a massive problem in F1 to do with qualifying, people backing up in the pits, which I found really stupid, and also then backing up ridiculously um, in the last sector. I, th I think it was, I remember during qualifying that Ricardo. Uh, was starting his lap, but he was halfway round until like I think the fourth or fifth driver come out of the pits. This is like in in Q three, I think. So it is a massive problem because you're gonna end up, I don't know, having massive accident. Luckily, there wasn't with with uh, Vettel and Mazap. I think it was Mazapin and Schumacher. But it's yeah, it is getting a bit ridiculous i don't know what the fia can do about it but there's something they need to do in order to make it safe especially around a uh, like a twisty um circuit because it's good as in like next week in in monza it's going to be a massive problem because people just want slipstream yeah, I mean, it's especially frustrating from Sebastian Vettel's point of view because he was on a hot lap and he literally had to, he was so close to hitting the hats, so he had to really pull out a lot. So he was never going to make it through to Q2. So that certainly implies that a penalty should have perhaps been given to the Haas because they were both squabbling over position. They were squabbling on the radio about whose go it was to go first in quali. And it's definitely getting quite toxic there, but perhaps penalty points on their licence, but I'm not really sure. The stewards um, gave an interesting explanation um, and I don't think that was uh, too bad. So... It, it, it's, it's an interesting one, but let's move on to Q2, uh, where, again, the tool points here are another driver that you don't expect to be going out in Q2, and that is Lando Norris, of course, as he couldn't get another lap in. This time, it's not because of traffic, but because of the two Williams sabotaging him. Obviously, someone had paid them to make sure Lando Norris didn't get into Q3, as George Russell um, hit the wall, to be fair, continued back to the pits, um, but that caused a red flag due to debris. And then Nicholas Latifi just decided, you know what, I've just been so inspired by George that he's going to do it, but like 10 times harder and absolutely slams in the wall, destroying his car. And um, the stewards then were like, um, we've had enough. We're just going to stop the session, which... To be honest, I feel like they should have kept going because there was a minute 35 left, I think, if I remember correctly on the clock. And it takes about one minute, one minute 14 on a 
normal lap on the race, but around that time to do a lap. So I definitely think that maybe not with backing up, but I think they could have got round to do another lap. Do you think that the stewards should have um, just moved on to Q3 or do you think they should have given them a chance with the one minute 35 left? I, I agree with what the FI did, even though it's, you know, unfortunately, didn't mean Lando could go any further, but with the one minute 35 left, if you think about it, when they start the time, it, it's literally starting from as they're at the pit, the pit lane. So, so they could be there waiting at the pit exit, or they could be in the garage. By the time they've gone out of the pits and started going round, that's probably like a minute 20. So I reckon maybe one or two cars would have got there because they would have still backed up. So they had the space to do the lap. So it wouldn't have been worth it. So I think they made the right decision. Yeah, I, I agree with Josh on that. Mm, yeah, no, it's fair enough. It's just something I wanted to bring up because I was um, I was looking at it. I mean, I didn't see the qualifying the time. I was watching the highlights and I was thinking perhaps that, um, you know, because, you know, job and that. But, um, yeah, and I was thinking perhaps that they could have done it. But um, let's move on to Q3. Not as eventful as Q1 or Q2, but I think the highlight of Q3 was Giovinazzi um, qualifying in seventh with one hell of a lap in that Alfa Romeo, did fantastically qualifying ahead of Ocon, Alonso and Ricardo, who are no mugs. I mean, all of them have race wins between them. Ricardo, excellent um, for Red Bull, not having a great time with Claren. Alonso is a world champion and Ocon is a rising star. So Giovinazzi qualifying seventh was massive. Um, but it, the problem with Giovinazzi is it's never been his quality pace that's been the issue. It's always been his race pace. And as we'll talk about later, um, his race pace just, again, just wasn't good enough. And we, we put the question uh, in the preview about whether Giovinazzi should keep his seat. And after... I just want to pose it early after qualifying seventh, which is brilliant, but I don't think you could take away the shine on that. Do you think that he should keep his seat and this performance was good enough to, for him to keep it? Or do you think that he was completely let down by um, the race? I'm going to be quite blunt with you here. As in, I know you're a massive Giovinazzi fan, but I honestly <laughs> don't think he'll be an F1. I don't think seventh, in round Netherlands saves his seat because the fact is the evolving track because of how much like not very many categories I think were on the day except from F3 and then the women's series and then the Porsche Cup so I, I don't think seventh would change anything because the evolving track and then even Williams the Latifi got uh, got into Q2 and some of his qualifying, I think, from he's been in uh, Q out of Q1 quite a lot. Um, and his race pace is awful. Um, and I think if you look at the pool of drivers out there, I think there are better drivers. Um, for example, Alex Albon, uh, Valtteri Bottas, uh, even like Nick. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg, um, like even Nick De Vries, as in there's a number of drivers, even I don't know who's going to win the F2 championship that could go into Alfa Romeo and then uh, obviously uh, Paul Chair as well. So for, for me, I think your hope of him staying in the seat is going to be, I think, uh, not particularly hopeful. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you, with you both. I think, but um, it's just his consistency. He just doesn't, he doesn't perform at a consistent level. So, like, obviously, he got P seven in qualifying this weekend, but then like a few, like a few weekends ago, he'll be like P fourteen or something lower, like, like that. But then with, also with today's race, he did also he wasn't quick, but did also get a bit unlucky because I think he had a puncture, which meant he had to do an extra an extra pick stop. Um, Still, he didn't, have, he didn't have the pace to then catch up and keep going. But um, I think he just hasn't shown enough 
that he can compete at a decent level or a consistent level. So I think it is probably the right decision for Alfa Romeo to find someone else and move him on. Mm, yeah, I mean, you say every time I pose a question about a driver, you always say, oh, you love that guy. I mean, he is the Italian Jesus, but... I, I don't I don't love him I don't love him that much. I'm just posing the question because he, he did great in qualifying and we should we should talk about that because he's not had the most consistent season. So it's good to highlight people when they uh they do better than they normally do. Um but yeah, let's uh breaking down the race, not much really happened. I mean, pre-race you had Latifi and Perez starting for the pits, uh, Latifi uh, in the pits because he fixed his car, and Perez starting in the pits because he changed his engine. Um, in terms of what happened, in terms of highlights, flashpoints, um, lap 34, George Russell got a five-second penalty for speeding in the pits, which you only really see on um, the <laughs> F1 2020-2021 game. Um, I haven't seen that in um, F1 for years. Lap 44, Mazepin retired with a hydraulic problem. Lap 50, Sonoda retired with an engine problem. And lap 71, Russell retired with a problem which uh, Williams haven't come out with. No red flags. What happened? We were predicting, like, chaos on Sunday. There wasn't a safety car. There wasn't a yellow. There wasn't a um, red flag. And there was only one double-waved yellow. I mean... How is there not a red flag, guys? Like, how? <laughs> I think everyone was just playing it a little bit safe because obviously, like Joe said towards the beginning, he didn't, he didn't think there were that many overtakes. So people just didn't want to put it in a position where they didn't feel comfortable to, especially around that turn three hairpin where loads of people were just taking the high line and didn't want to risk going down um, down the low, the low line. I think Ocon did it once against Alonso and then obviously backed off because he no space so I think it's a, a mixture of people drivers weren't brave enough to make moves because they didn't want to then ruin their chances of getting points but then also I think once they got into their groove and they found their line it's just pretty simple just drive around the track for, uh, for 72 laps and just keep it there um only I think only Vettel made a mistake where he caused a double double yellows on turn three but other than that I think that's why there are no other safety cars or red flags yeah I, I, it's a bit like scale electrics uh, and if you as soon as you get off that um line only off on made I, I think it looked like only made it um able to make it stick on that low low side as Vettel suddenly uh deviated off the tracks as it were in, in scale electrics um but yeah as in it was i don't know as in Again, I think it was people, again, as Josh said, people, people not taking risk, but also the way I think Lewis Hamilton said that you get dirty air with six seconds if you're behind a car in six seconds, which means because the amount of people that, that for example, this round one put the top two, we'll probably talk about them in more in depth, but if they keep on overtaking lap cars, the dirty air is going to affect um, Lewis Hamilton more because he has to overtake all of them. Um, and it's, I don't know, it, it, for, for, for me, it was literally um, people being, again, cautious, but also the fact is that no cars could get into a rhythm because every time they got near anybody, they got dirty air and had to basically sit back um, and get away from away from down, basically damaging their tires and getting punctures. Um, but also, I think people just got, got used to the track, so they just didn't make mistakes because I think it was like five or six red flags in practice and qualifying. So yeah, it's, yeah. It was just pe- I th- yeah, it was just people getting used to the track, and I think they got used to the track in the race. Yeah, no, that that's fair enough. I guess in qualifying, you are 
properly going flat out and you're risking a lot more than the race where you can be more conservative to save tyres, you said. Um, and let's move on to talk, going through a team-by-team breakdown, um, talking about who did well, who didn't, starting with the big boys, Mercedes and Red Bull. So for Mercedes, they got the most points this weekend, um, despite not winning the race, with Hamilton coming second and getting fastest lap, and Bottas coming third. Um, that's compared to Red Bull's um, 29 points. Uh, Mercedes got 34. Verstappen winning coming first, but Perez coming eighth. But considering where he started, he did still do well. How do you compare the team's fortunes over the weekend? I mean, Verstappen was, I'd argue, dominant. I mean, Hamilton did all he could and made him sweat, but Verstappen was dominant. Um, but Mercedes still come out on top in the constructors. So how do you guys break down um, the battle between the two teams? Uh, Perez was very poor in qualifying and then good in the race. Um, as in, the reason I say that, if you're, if, if you're in the best car, against a Haas, a Williams, an Alfa Romeo, you should get round them. I think it's, I think when it, you get to the cars like like the McLaren, yes, it was a good move. And then also a basically force himself with Landon Norris. Um, yeah, it, it's cars that you should get round. Um, and also he was on the softs. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and are we talking about Mercedes now? Or- yeah, t- talking about both the teams. Oh, both teams. And then Max, yeah, as was dominant. I think I think Lewis could have got him um on qualifying um to pole if he knew I think if he got his first sector a lot better. Um I think he made a, a mistake into um I think turn three or I don't I can't remember the, the number the corner number. But Bottas is the one I think probably have to talk about it. Uh, very interesting that he nearly set the fastest lap with two laps to go. I thought it was quite cheeky from him. But overall, I think he was compromised by Vettel's mini spin because he had to lock his tyres up. And then then basically the tyre window for that tyre is completely shot. So then he's basically struggling for the whole of the stint afterwards and then Hamilton just pushed Max all the way and it will be a very fascinating uh, season here we go oh, that's okay, that's okay. Um, <laughs> oh my word I'm confused now anyway um, I think I, I agree and disagree with some of your points there but um, I think in terms of qualifying I disagree with the comment of Lewis being able to go faster than Max because when you actually look at it, Max didn't have his DRS open on the on the home straight when he started uh, his lap, and he also apparently had some like upshifting issues, so he, he lost a few temps in a corner. So I think if he had anything perfect, perfectly nailed, I think Max would have been clear on qualifying. But then if it comes to the race, I think once Max pulled that like two second gap in within two. In the first two laps, I think it was just pretty much cruise cruise control for him, which just copy whatever Mercedes do, because as long as you do that, you're not going to uh, get done by a strategy. So it was pretty much straightforward for uh, Red Bull in terms of Max. But then if you look at Checo uh, again, he's it's kind of becoming a pattern of struggling qualifying, even though it might not be his fault this week, but struggling qualifying and then just drag that car where it should be or closer to where it should be through the race because he's just such a great driver and he just knows where to position the car when to overtake. But also, like Joe said, when you're in a Red Bull and you're racing against a Hassel or Williams, you should just go by them in the blink of an eye and it shouldn't be difficult. But um, he's still a great driver and he's a fair play to him coming eighth in the pit lane, but um, he definitely needs to start improving his qualifying to then fight up the top with uh, Hamilton, Bottas and Max. But then if we go to Bottas, honestly, when he when he was told to pit, I was like, yes, go get the fastest lap. And then he was told to not get the fastest lap. I was like, honestly, Mercedes, just 
grow up. I was like, just I kept I started cheering him on, like, please just get it. Because when they were saying he had two purple sectors for sector one and two, I was like, don't slow down for the set for the last sector, just keep going. Um, but unfortunately he slowed down. But I think that relationship between him and Mercedes has just deteriorated because they've just put Lewis Hamilton first, which I, it makes sense, but you've still got to treat your second driver as one of your best drivers and a, a driver, basically, but they just don't really care about him anymore. Um, but yeah, I think when it comes to the weekend overall for the teams, Mercedes probably did have the better weekend just because Checo was just shitting qualifying. Amazing. Amazing. Can I, can I argue with Josh's point about treating Bottas the same as Lewis? Go for it. Have a, have a look. I, I kind of disagree. I disagree. As in, I think Bottas hasn't shown the pace that, that well, to, compared to Lewis since they were teammates. So I don't think, I don't think personally that you can try and get somebody quicker than Lewis Hamilton by giving him resources when if he use I think if he uses them he would still be the same he'd still be slow I think Toto Wolf is in his right mind to go and say okay let's focus on Lewis you're just playing the team game here um because again as in if you look on across the garage of Red Bull it's basically what they're doing there um basically just um putting Perez out to dry because of his poor performances and just putting everything into max. Um, I think if it was like Ros Rosberg and Hamilton, I think that would be a completely different story because uh, after the show, I think Rosberg said that there's um, a complete like slate as in everything's going to be equal. I don't think Bottas went into Mercedes saying that. Um, because I think when, yeah, as again, when Jensen Button signed for uh, McLaren with Lewis Hamilton's teammates, he demanded to have equal rights to Lewis Hamilton. And I don't, do not think Valtteri Bottas has, has, um, has had the right to have those rights to be equal to Lewis because of his performances. I completely get what you mean. It's just, Hamilton is clearly the better driver. He's clearly the faster, more experienced, and obviously better driver because he's won seven world champions. But I, I just get, I just think as a team, it just, I'm, I understand you want to prioritize a driver because they give you a better chance of getting more points and meaning better positions in the constructors and driver championships. But I just think teams should be more more equal, more lenient to both of the drivers. Otherwise, what's the point in having two drivers? Just have one and then everyone can just focus solely on that one driver. So I just think, like, when you bring upgrades, teams nowadays seem to bring upgrades to one car, see if it works, and then bring it to the next car, like, a race later. Like, just bring it to both. Make it equal. Make the car fair for both, for both drivers. And obviously, you're always going to have a number one driver or a stronger driver within your team. I just think in, in terms of being a team, as in just be equal. So like maybe one week, one driver goes out first and the other one gets a toe, the next week swap. It just, it just makes sense in my head, but I, I can understand why teams don't because they want to, they want to get points, be higher up and get more money for the, for the actual company and the team. But, I think there's just a, an argument to both sides. Joe, any more or we? <laughs> oh no, I, I, I just, yeah, I, I Josh, Josh is probably um, told, but yeah, I, I just honestly think um, Bottas has lost those those rights to uh, having equal equal like slipstream, for example, as in like next week. I predict that Bottas will go out first to give Hamilton the slipstream um, because, again, it'll be the same for Perez as well. So, but I understand Josh's point that everybody should be equal because, again, there's no point of having a, a second driver. 
but I think it's just the way the game works in F1 that one driver is always going to be. Um, I think there's the only team that I can think of, the only two teams that I think have like don't have a number one driver is McLaren and Ferrari. Um, and maybe Aston. But that those 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 are the three teams that that have equal, I would say equal um what's the word equal like um opportunities yeah yeah yes yeah equal opportunities and that so sam what do you think yeah um i just think that that was a that was a great debate no, get, no, 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 get involved don't, don't <laughs> sit there and just host the thing get involved oh, i i think that um most uh, as I said, most cars on the grid have a number one driver. Um, Ferrari definitely have a number one. I'm sorry, Leclerc's definitely number one driver and signs of support, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, teams having number one drivers isn't a problem as long as it doesn't get too toxic. Bottas is definitely a number two driver, that's his job, that's his that's the what he's best at i mean it's sad but he's a great number two driver he gets podiums he won't get race wins he'll get the occasional race win when hamilton messes up and verstappen messes up but he's a number two driver number two drivers are important and part of the sport um they've been part of the sport for years and there's no need to get rid of them so support drivers are good and Bottas is a good support driver but next year he'll be the number one driver at Alfa Romeo. So we'll see how he deals with that. Um, just speculation. But um, and also to back Perez, to be fair, he was bought into Red Bull because of his like him having some of the best race craft on the grid. Yes, in qualifying he does sometimes struggle, but Max does get um, special treatment. But um, anyway, um, let's move on to talk about the McLaren versus Ferrari battle, which, to be honest, this weekend was pretty non-existent. I mean, first of all, Norris getting really unlucky in quali, didn't put them in good stead, and Ricardo's um, Q3 lap wasn't amazing, putting him in 10th. And then you go to Ferrari, and you have Leclerc in 5th and Sainz in 7th. Both did really well, signs especially, um, because he just lacked, he was complaining and in his interview was talking about he's never lacked pace like that. So to salvage seven, uh, seventh is really impressive. But guys, what do you think about um, the battle between the two teams above the midfield but below the title foot? Yeah, like you said, it was pretty non-existent in this race, but um, overall it's still pretty much alive. But yeah, I was. I think it's pretty much obvious which team had the the better the better weekend. With uh, I think Ferrari finishing fifth and seventh, like you said, it's unfortunate for Science to not finish sixth um, because he got overtaken by Alonso at the end. But um, don't really know what actually happened there. I think because the clerk just kept pulling away and just seemed to have pace that Science couldn't find. But um, I think that backs up your point with uh, Ferrari's number one driver. But um, in terms of McLaren, it just wasn't. It wasn't their weekend. They just didn't have luck on the side during qualifying. And then just Ricardo's just lack of pace in the car just showed itself. But then they, they did provide a, a good strategy for Lando to then somehow sneak a point, um, even though Checo did have to, unfortunately, basically destroy his tyre. <laughs> Literally, um, Literally Lando's fault. But... Um, uh, yeah, I think just to, to scrape a point from where they were is, is it's decent, but they just didn't have the pace this weekend, unfortunately. But I'm sure they'll be back stronger in Monza. And I'm sure also for Ferrari, it's their home race, so they're hoping to be strong and not be as poor as last time they were there, when I think Charles and Vettel both retired, or one crashed and one retired. But um, yeah, so hopefully it'll be a bit different story for them in Monza this year. Yeah, I, I think McLaren had a very, very dismal um, performance this week. I just don't think the car suited the track. Um, but I think it will, it will definitely be very strong at Monza, um, considering last time out, Science got P2 
when he was at McLaren. So I think, I think, I think McLaren will be able to pull back. I think it's eleven points or eleven and a half points or whatever. But I think Ferrari looks pretty strong. They generally do look strong in low uh, speed corner circuit and slightly high mid corner, like not very basically not much straights, uh, which they do struggle at. Um, but yeah, as science, I think had a problem with his engine. I think, I think it was a problem with power, and Leclerc just did did what he usually does and performs. But it was quite interesting that the fact that the Ferraris and also the, you could say the McLarens weren't challenging the Alpha Tauri of Gasly, which I was very surprised about. Mm, yeah, to Gasly had a great race we'll come to talk about in a moment. But yeah, I'm not going to lie, Norris, I didn't mention it early, earlier, but despite him getting knocked up because of two red flags, got really unlucky, Norris's pace in qualifying anyway was really poor. He scraped through in Q3, and the only reason he got through is because Vettel and Perez couldn't, um, well, Vettel's lap got compromised and Perez can get round to do a lap. So that's the only reason he went through the but first. Morris got compromised as well, by the way, as well. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's just he his pace wasn't good anyway, realistically. I don't think his um yeah his pace and quality wasn't that great. So I don't think the race he definitely improved. He had um some decent pace but still not the Lando Norris we've seen so far this season. And despite a good race start, Ricardo's race just ended up being pretty boring. Nothing really happens, not getting points, which isn't really good enough for a McLaren. I don't know how long we're going to have to keep saying, or I keep saying he's adjusting, he's adjusting. He does, he did at Renault, he takes a long time to adjust to the car, and that definitely is working against him at the moment. Bf Ferrari were um, superb, especially Charles Leclerc. But Leclerc is one of the most consistent drivers of the grid and signs to well to bring it home. But let's move on to the three-car fight. Um, one of the teams in this fight got zero points this weekend, so didn't perform at all. But um, let's talk about um, the th- three A's, Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin and Alpine. Um Gasly, as we just talked about, unbelievable race, keeping Leclerc behind him, superb achievement. Sonoda DNFing, unlucky. Quali wasn't incredible either. Then Vettel, of course, compromised in Quali and race. He had a spin and just struggled a bit. Stroll just had like the most nothing race ever, 12th to 12th, very boring. Then you go to Alpine and you've got a revitalised Fernando Alonso, who just is amazing at race race starts, starting ninth and finishing sixth, getting a car on the last lap as well. He, Rosberg said it after the race, you put him in the Mercedes, um, if Lewis wasn't there, I'll add, and he'd he'd win you a championship because he's still got it. Even in Alpine, he still has that drive determination. I thought it was superb. And then he had Ocon, who had a solid race. Eighth to ninth, did drop a position, but some decent points for the team. But yeah, let's talk about these three teams. Who do you think did well? Who didn't? Let's talk about it. Well, in terms of both drivers, you'd have to say Alpine had the, the better weekend with both of them finishing in points. But then if you actually look at the points they've got, you then go to Alcatara because yeah. just a, a P4 finish means you get more points. But I think even though they did get P4, Gasly, he must have been really, really bored because he literally had no one near him the whole time. He was like 30 seconds behind Bottas and then Leclerc somehow just couldn't uh, find the pace to go anywhere near him. So in terms of his race, he's probably bored out of his mind, but I'm sure he'll take it. P4, so good result for his team. So, um, I think I'll be happy. And then obviously just unlucky for Sonoda. I think his lack of experience definitely showed in throughout the weekend with lack of pace to even get out of Q1. Uh, Q1. So, um, yeah, so that was pretty much Sonoda just doing what he always does. 
Um, but then with uh, with the Alpines, I think, like you said, Fernando Alonso just looks back to his best self or just back just back in F1 where he belongs. Uh, somehow putting that car in great positions in, in sixth. But I thought I found it interesting during the race where I think towards the start of both the stints of their tyres, Ocon was like, oh, he's so slow, he needs to get out of my way. And then it will get towards the end of the stint and Alonso will be like five or six seconds away ahead of Ocon. So I don't really know what was going on there. I just thought it was quite funny. Uh, but then I think you said Alfa Romeo was the next one, I think. Um, Aston Martin. Oh, Aston Martin, okay. Uh, there's too many A's, too many A's. Uh, Aston Martin, I think, obviously, unlucky for Vettel. He just couldn't really make up for it. And obviously, the spin didn't help. And then, interestingly, Stroll was just stuck behind Russell the whole race. Like, I just literally just stuck behind his bumper the whole race, just staring at it. I was like, are you going to try and make a move or just going to, not going to bother? It's like he just really wasn't interested in this race because he didn't look like he made a move. Um, so for them, it was a bit disappointing, but um, I don't think there was much they could have done because I don't think they had the pace either. So, yeah, definitely a better weekend for Alpine. Yeah, I, I think... Gasly was very impressive. Um, I think there's going to be at some points, I don't know, in the near future, that he's going to wanting that Red Bull seat. And if he doesn't, he'll move to a different team. I, I think he's, for me, he's he's good enough to be in the Red Bull. I think he's got over his um, sketchy patch where he's basically rushed into the Red Bull um see so I, i'm hoping he gets moved to, um moved to red bull at some point but that's probably unlikely because Helmut marco doesn't like promoting i'm gonna say red bull rejects but it's not really because they're part of the their kind of program um i think then sonoda he's been awful Let's be, let's be fair. I know he's a rookie, but he's been awful the whole entire season. I think is, I think the reason he's an F one is because of Honda, um, just because that, um, yeah, just because Honda wanted a Japanese driver in the sport. I think that's the reason he's there. I think it's a bit, yeah, and obviously a bit too soon for him. I think he should have stayed in F two to develop a bit more. Um, and then Alpine, Alonso, as you said, Sam, I think I do agree with you. He's, for me, he's in, probably in the top three drivers on the grid. He's very fast, very good in qualifying and very good in the race. He's, even though he says he can get, he's still looking for those two tenths um, with that Alpine car. I think he's done reasonably well. Um, in 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 Netherlands, um, and then Ocon, I think it's, it's just an, a good performance for him, um, as he didn't after hung well yeah before Hungary had really bad results, so he did very well. And then the Aston Martins got lapped twice. Um, it was kind of I would say kind of a shambolic performance from them in terms of the way that as Josh said. Stroll didn't do anything, just like looking at the rear of a Williams car. Um, maybe just trying to look at the sponsors. Um, and then <laughs> and then obviously Vettel had that mini spin. Try, I think trying to get past... Who was trying to get past? Was it, it was, it was that, I think it was an Alfa Romeo, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, Giovinazzi, I think it was. Oh, what was that, Kvitsa? Not Kvitsa, One of them. Yeah, it's one of them, but yeah, it was. I think at the moment we call it the three A's, but it should be two because I think Alpha Tari have shown they're not track dependent anymore. They can really perform when it's only Gasly. Um, and we need two Gaslys in the team. <laughs> yeah, uh, if yeah, if Gasly likes that track, they're going to be all right out there um, challenging McLaren and. Um, yeah, and then the Alpine's cars were very strong. It's just the Aston Martins. I don't think that you can. I think we have to now put them with Williams and Alfa Romeo. No, that is hard. 
Yeah, that is a that is a hot take. But um, I think what summed up Stroll's race the best um, was his conversation with his engineer when they told him to pit, and the race engineer was like, "You need to press the OK button," and he was like, "I have," and he's like, "No, you haven't," and he's like, "I've pit pit I've." pressed pit confirm that's what the button is that is the okay button or something along those lines and the engineer was just like um left embarrassed because at the end of this just like waffling and stroll is right but yeah he could have probably drawn like a uh, a realistic um a proper good drawing of the williams uh, the back of the williams car as ted kravitz said that did overtake him when he retired so it's a it's a win for Stroll in my eyes, but um, yeah, let's talk about the the one the last A and Williams. We're going to group them together. Now. I'm just going to put Haas in a category on their own. We could talk about that in a set, but let's talk about Alfa Romeo and Williams. Neither team getting points. I mean, generally that's not a surprise, but after Williams all of a sudden getting quite a few points recently, um, <laughs> it's a tiny bit of a surprise. Um, but yeah, Alfa Romeo, first of all, um, Kubica coming in did really well. Um, starting 16th, first of all, um, beating both the Hasses, um, and then uh, finishing 15th, getting an overtake on the last lap on Latifi, um, a guy who got loads of points the other week. So that's impressive. So he had a good drive. Giovinazzi basically got really unlucky with a puncture. His pace wasn't great anyway. He dropped very quickly, uh, but he had great quality. So that's all that matters. But um, yeah, he's probably not going to be in that seat next year. And then moving on to Williams, Russell basically just stayed where he was. He didn't move. To get a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane is a bit naive, to be honest, for someone as consistent as Russell. And then retiring was kind of the icing on the cake for quite a bad day. And then in terms of Latifi, he just was pretty rubbish this weekend. I'm not going to lie. I mean, he, he threw his car into the pits at like a massive speed in qualifying. And then in the race, got overtaken by a guy who only races with one hand and hasn't driven a proper F1 car for 11 years, as he says, as Williams was um, just about survival. So let's talk about these two teams, how they compared. Um, any highlights for you guys? Um, I think Williams' highs uh, of like Spa and what was the other? Hungary have come back to now slap them back into reality of where they should be. Um, I think, yeah, as, as you grew, I think Russell was very... He could have got into Q3. I think he had the pace, but I would personally think Norris would would have beaten him. Um, but I think getting a five-second penalty, as you said, this only happens in F1 games. I think it's just very stupid from a driver who's going to sign for Mercedes. Um, I, think you, I think we now have to put him to a very high standard now considering he's going to sign for a, a, a Mercedes um, and then Latifi's just been Latifi uh, he's just there because of the money coming in uh, for Williams um, he crashed out in qualifying and then just didn't do much in the race I can't remember him doing overtake or anything I know, no, I do. He did, he did a very nice overtake that Jensen Button was very happy with. Um, <laughs> then, as a supervisor, yeah, as the yeah senior supervisor there, um, and then Robert Kavitza, very very good to see him back into the sport. Um, and my eyes just did better than Giovinazzi in the way that he's has again driving with, I would say, one hand in a very um impaired i think is right i think it's his right hand that he damaged very impaired right hand um for a from a rallying crash i think in 2011 so yeah it's a juvenile as you said had impressive qualifying but then had juvenile pace in the race just woeful 
And I think, as, as I keep on saying on this podcast yesterday and oh no, a couple of days ago and today, that I think his seat is very numbered. I think there'll be a driver confirmed um, very soon as uh, Alex Albon or, yeah, Alex Albon might have that seat. Um, as, we haven't done Haas yet, have we? No, we're going to move on to them in a second, Jeff. Oh, okay. I, 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 that's my brutal discussion on Williams and Alfa Romeo. <laughs> There's not really much more you can add to that, really, is there, Joe? Just, I think the only real point that I wanted to make was uh, was directed at Williams. There's just like he's like Joe said, it was just a just a reality check. Or they shouldn't have been, really been up there in the last few races, but um, they're now back to where they belong. But my other point was just I just wish they weren't here this week. <laughs> This has completely ruined Norris and other people's Q2. So I was like, just, just go away. But um, other than that, I think Joe's pretty much covered everything that, that happened this weekend with those two teams. Yeah, I think Alfa Romeo have quite disappointed me this year. I thought they'd get a, a few more points. And I think that their drivers aren't necessarily getting the best out of their car. If you can... If you combined Giovinazzi's qualifying with Raikkonen's race pace, they'd get a lot more points. But the problem is Raikkonen's not great in quality and then in the race is decent. And Giovinazzi's decent in qualifying, but then the race is pretty poor. So it's really frustrating. And I bet their team principal is pulling his hair out. But yeah, Kubica, um, well done, mate. You're a, you're a top man. I was really excited to see you back in the sport. And maybe he'll, he's an outside chance for the Alfa Romeo um, see, he never, he never, he never denied it. So uh, maybe they'll go for Bottas and Kubica, which would be a uh, proper blast of the past. But um, let's talk about the uh, the best team in the grid, um, Haas. What a what a team! I mean, I to sum up a discussion of the team. I mean, we're basically just going to say they're rubbish and how like. Mazepin's just like a psycho and Schumacher's just like doing the best he can in a rubbish car. The discussion I want to have with the two, because they got zero points, you know, they came DNF'd and 18th, like not very interesting, is there's a proper inter-team feud there, isn't there? Because you had in qualifying Mazepin complaining, as I said earlier, about um, Schumacher going out first um, to do a hot lap when it should have been his turn or something. I don't quite remember. It's something like that. And then in the race, Mazepin pulled out a manoeuvre, which he's known for in Formula 2, um, where he almost <laughs> threw Schumacher into a wall, <laughs> into the pit wall um, on one of the laps, um, trying to defend against him. Which, to be honest, right, when you're defending for the bottom two places, you just there's just no point almost like threatening to put your teammate in a wall. Um, what do you make on this feud between the two drivers? Schumacher, I reckon, wants out and is trying to get that Alfa Romeo seat. What do you guys think of uh, think of it? I just think it was just bound to happen at one point. Mazepin's just. Big head was going to explode at one point and just cause mayhem within the team. I think the appointment of him was just a, the wrong move from the start. But like money, you said, he, money, well, money, yeah, money. But still, who cares? Got someone else. But um, I think, like you said, he almost pretty much forced Schumacher into the pit lane, not just into the wall, but into the actual pit lane. When like watching it on back, I was like, what is he doing? Just it's so dangerous and it's your own team and there's just no point. But um, I think, yeah, like, like I said, it was just bound to happen at some point, even though Schumacher seems like such a lovely, lovely bloke, but obviously he's just going to get, getting frustrated with his teammate and probably frustrated with how bad the car is as well. It just doesn't help the situation, but it was just definitely going to boil over at one point. It just happened to be this weekend. Yeah, I, I think this this teammate this 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 team gets more more of, of to turn into a Formula Three car the more it goes round the track. Um, well, I think next week we'll actually turn into an F1 car because it's high speed. But I think the the, the fuse between Mazepin and Mick Schumacher doesn't really 
surprise me, but I think also they're just, I think one of them's going out um, because um, as in, there's always been a fuse at um, Haas with Grosjean and Magnussen. I don't, I don't, do you know if they signed on for next season? I think that Mazda, oh, I don't know. Because <laughs> I, 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 if, if this fuse is happening with eight races or nine races left and there's a contract that's based, um, I've got the principle called, uh, Gunter Steiner has basically said, oh, you, you have to perform. One of you is going to have this contract and we're going to employ somebody else in F2 that can actually do a competent job because you're the rookie. Mazepin hasn't been good. He's been dangerous, been reckless. He's been a meme. Um, he's been, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I can't be too, and I can't really be too brutal to Mick Schumacher because he's basically been the only reason he's in that car is because I don't think he could get into Alfa Romeo at the time last season. Um, so I feel sorry for Mick Schumacher. I, I hope he goes to a different team because I think in Ma whoever is going to be Mazepin's teammate, if he's like, go, I don't know if it's like Paul Chair or or Wanji Joe or any of those drivers, or even Alex Albon, they're gonna they're gonna fight with with Mazepin because that's just his personality on track and off track. Yeah, um, neither driver signed off next year. I have just looked it up, um, but yeah, it's that team is just an absolute mess, and it needs sorting out. Schumacher is in the seat because admittedly won Formula Two, so he is kind of in it uh, in the seat of merit, but. He's in it because they bought in a sponsor who gave them money, but their request was we need a German driver. So that's one of the reasons. Should have bought in Hulkenberg, but um, they bought in Mick Schumacher and then Mazepin's in the sport because his dad's rich. Unlike Latifi, who's in the sport because he's a quality driver and is thick in F2. But um, yeah, Mazepin is in the sport because of money and he is just even in his interviews his interview after the race um he had to leave the little comment at the end saying uh he, he said uh, another clean race for me as well and it's like you almost put your teammate in a wall like how is that clean admittedly he didn't hit it like he admittedly didn't hit anyone but he just like thinks he's so good and he's just not there are times that i've found him likable but I just haven't recently, and I, I just—he's—he'll be in the sport for years. That's my worry, and uh, the yeah. team won't. <laughs> yeah, as I—I I, I do agree on that one. I think I would say it's—I've got to say Sonoda. I know I'm putting Sonoda under the bus, but it's—it's it's kind of like that. Just to do Honda wanting. Um, I think before their contract ends, they wanted a Japanese driver um, in the car. Um, they, oh, who's that really good NASCAR? I can't remember. Is it Sato? I think it is Sato. They should put him in. He's like 43, but um, used to used to race in F1 uh, in the 2000s. But yeah, as, oh, sorry, I got a bit off track. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I think um, him... Sonoda uh, um, and Mazepin are in that bracket of kind of contract obligated, obligated with like money and yeah, I, I don't think those two should be in the sport personally. I think you could put any driver and do a better job. To be fair to Sonoda, when I watched him in F2, he did have a lot of highlights and you could see there was so much potential there. Like there were manoeuvres he pulled out that were just brilliant and there were times where he did look like the best driver in Formula 2, but you could see that it was very raw talent and it needed to be refined. He's 
someone I've seen someone on Twitter saying he's been the most disappointing rookie that's been in F1 for years because of the hype around him before um, before the season started and bar one or two races he hasn't lived up to that admittedly today DNFing so really like harsh to judge but he so the, apparently he's going to sign on. He's going to sign on at Monza, supposedly, or before Monza, which is where half the teams are going to announce their lineups for next year. Um, so maybe next season will be different. I hope it is because he's a driver I like, but Mazepin, um, yeah, no, uh, the, the feelings aren't reciprocated. I just want him out of the sport. Um, but if he, they leave the sport, has to leave the sport, and that means Gunter Steiner leaves the sport. And we don't want Gunter Steiner to leave the sport. So, um, I, Sorry, Sam, but there's, I think there's rumours that the Volkswagen company and Porsche, I think another one as well, are looking into the sport because of the engines the engine change regulation change which i think happens in 2025 mm. i know that's like four years away but i think if porsche i don't know porsche or volkswagen buy it by Haas, i think that could be an i don't as in there's room there's also rumors that um this is the worst case scenario ever that mazepin's dad buys Haas, um and then basically mazepin's Lance Stroll um, mm. for like seven, I don't know. Yeah. Um, imagine, imagine Volkswagen by Haas and you have Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren, Volkswagen. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I hope they like design it around the Beetle. That would be amazing. Just get the Volkswagen it, Beetle going around. Yeah, it's the Volkswagen group. So it could be, they could put any, any of that. They could even put Lamborghini. I think Volkswagen the part of the Lamborghini group. So. Nah, they need the Beetle. They need the Beetle in the sport. But anyway, um, and that long discussion about the teams that Josh wasn't a part of, but Josh, you can be a part of the driver of the day. So you can kick us off. Who was your driver of the day for um, Zandvoort? Well, unfortunately, you two have chosen probably the, the most obvious or better driver to choose from. But um, I still think my choice for, for the little amount of time he had and for the 11-year break that he's had. I think Kibitsu was my driver of the day, just in the fact that he came in, I think, Saturday morning, he had one practice session on a completely new track that I don't think he's probably raced out in F1. Well, definitely not in F1, but um, he might have done it in other in other categories. Um, but I think for him to qualify where he did and finish 15th and, and overtake the TV at the end, who's been driving this whole season... I think it just shows what kind of a driver he is and how good he is, even though he's only got one working hand. But um, yeah, I think for me, it was Kubica just because of how experienced and skilled he is just to jump in the car really late and still manage to do do reasonably well in the car. Yeah, mine's, um, I think, Pierre Gasly, just brilliant performance, P4 and then P4 in the, in the race as well. I think... He's arguably, I think, at the moment, very. He's very consistent, and he should be on uh, Rebels radar to go to that Rebel seat if Perez doesn't perform. He signed on for next year, Joe. He signed on for. Um, Yeah, Perez has signed on for next year, and he's also my driver of the day. Uh, he was superb today after his team messed him up. Definitely nothing to do with him. His qualifying is exceptional for Red Bull. I don't know what you're talking about. Bear in mind he started in the pits. Finishing P8 is really good, especially bear in mind he had to pit early, um, which admittedly was his fault because he did flat spot the tyres locking up. But makes it even more impressive, the recovery drive. Um, made some brilliant overtakes. Lando tried to put him in a wall, but he came through that and he got got past him. He, he, he actually overtook another car. He overtook Ocon even after um, Norris decided to take up all the um, all the flooring of the car um, because he's a maniac. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was really good on the race. He was the most entertaining thing. Um, 
about Sunday. Um, and yeah, he's my driver of the day. Special shout out to Gasly, who Joe has mentioned, Alonso and Kubica, who Josh has mentioned, Kubica driver. I was so excited. I put in the chat, um, uh, our chat when he was announced, like so excited because He's a driver I really like. He was unlucky that the team he came back with after his injury was was Williams, who were going through like the worst spell. And he's a driver that before his crash, I thought had the potential to win a championship. I loved watching him. Um, clips of him. I still watch clips of him. He was one of my favourite drivers. And um, it was since the same return, and he's going to get the Alfa Romeo seat. Um, that sums up uh, and wraps up our podcast reviewing the Zandvoort Dutch Grand Prix. Um, a lot to say about each driver and uh, even their futures in the sport, as well as reviewing the race. Um, next r- r- week, we are in Monza for the Italian GP. We've got three in a row. This is the last one of that. Last of the triple header, a track which is brilliant. Um, and always provides drama, saying that there'll probably be like nothing happening now. I said this, but um, yeah, we'll have a preview for that later in the week. Um, thank you for watching and listening. Maybe to make sure to like, subscribe, download, whatever you need to do, and we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. <laughs>